Welcome to the Truth and Liberty broadcast. We believe we have a mandate to bring godly change to our nation and the world through the seven spheres or mountains of influence. To further this cause, we give away a product every week that will empower you to get involved in changing your life and changing our world. You can register for our weekly giveaway by subscribing at truthandliberty.net. You can also subscribe to our newsletter to receive weekly updates on guests, news, and much more. This is an interactive live cast and we welcome your questions. To ask a question during the live cast, use the comment or chat features. Now get ready to dive into this week's topics with our hosts on location in Colorado, USA. Hello and welcome to the Truth and Liberty Livecast. My name is Mark Cowart, setting in for Andrew Womack tonight. We've got a great program for you. We have with us State Representative Mark Baisley, and he serves in the 39th House District of Colorado. So he serves uh, Teller and Douglas Counties, and uh, he's going to get a more proper introduction in just a moment. But Richard, it's always good to be with you. And Mark, thank you for being with us. We're going to learn a little more about you here. But Richard, you've got some items to take care of before we get into it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's great to have you, Mark. Um, thank you, everybody, for watching tonight. I'm really looking forward to this program. I think it's going to be, in, you know, informational and inspirational. So be sure to let your friends and family know to jump on and, and catch this. And if you're watching on YouTube tonight, uh, that's great. But we really encourage you to watch right on our website at truthandliberty.net. That way you will not get censored and you'll have a, a more reliable viewing experience, shall we say. But we've got some awesome stuff coming up here at the ministry at Andrew Womack Ministries. Wanted to mention some events. Uh, Grace Encounters is coming up right around the corner, September 22nd through the 24th. And this is a conference with Andrew Womack and Dwayne Sheriff are going to be uh, ministering at this. If you've never heard Dwayne Sheriff minister, you are missing out. He is one of the best Bible teachers anywhere, and he's he's got an amazing sense of humor, really great to listen to. Come out and be blessed as they minister on the uh, transforming grace of God. Also, October 3rd through the 7th is the annual Ministers Conference at AWM. And uh, Andrew will be teaching along with Billy Epperhart, our CEO, Bob Nichols uh, from Fort Worth, Texas, uh, Bob Yandian from Tulsa, Dwayne Sheriff again, and Greg Moore, one of my favorites. These are all amazing Bible teachers. So if you're in ministry, full-time ministry, please come out and get refreshed, get built up and strengthened in God's Word, October 3rd through the 7th. Last, I wanted to mention the Women Arise Conference, November 3rd through the 5th with Terry Savelle. Foy, Audrey Mack, and Carrie Pickett. Ladies, that's going to be awesome. Be sure to uh, register today on AWMI um, slash events, awmi.net slash events. Um, you know, I say this every week, but if you're not a subscriber to Truth and Liberty, I really encourage you to subscribe. I know we all get a ton of emails in our inboxes, but this one is one that you need. If you want to be equipped uh, with knowledge and information and tools and resources to stand up for Christ, in the public square, then you need to be getting the Truth and Liberty emails and blogs. So just go to our website, click subscribe, share your email with us, and we will uh, sign you up right away. And if you do, you'll become eligible to receive our free product giveaway. And last week we gave away Andrew's book, Living in the Balance of Grace and Faith. And I want to congratulate Karen Scott on that. Uh, Karen, you'll be getting an email on how you can claim that gift. This week we're giving away financial stewardship. Now, a lot of people say, oh, Andrew is one of those 
prosperity teachers, which he is. He doesn't preach poverty. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but this book is a balanced biblical view on finances that comes at it from this perspective of stewardship. And this is a powerful teaching. You need to get this. Subscribe today and you'll be able to receive that. Um, also, we do what we do here at Truth and Liberty through the financial generosity of our members. So are you a Truth and Liberty member? If you're not, would you please consider that? What are you doing with your finances to advance the kingdom of God today, especially in America, to fight for freedom and truth? Um, one of the best things you can do is sign up to be a Truth and Liberty member. And it's really easy. All you have to do is go on our website, go to the donate page, uh, make a re uh, register for a recurring contribution, automatic contribution of $5 or more per month, and you'll be a Truth and Liberty, Liberty member. And when you do, we'll send you this free gift in the mail, which is the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States. Guess what? This is banned reading in our public, many of our public schools today. Can you believe that? Also thrown in is the Declaration of Dependence upon God and His Holy Word, which Andrew drafted five or six years ago. Awesome little tool for you to have in your tool chest. Uh, and remember, our donations to Truth and Liberty Coalition are not tax deductible because we're a 501c4. If you need tax credit for your gift, you can give to Truth and Liberty Foundation at awmi.net slash tlf. Alright, well last thing I want to mention is if you need someone to agree with you in prayer, uh, we have a whole team of anointed, uh, trained prayer ministers standing by. Just call in to 719-635-1111 and someone will agree with you in prayer. A lot of great things yes, happening, sir. Richard. Amen. Well, Mark, it is so good to have you with us tonight. And I've got a full page of your bio. The only thing I want to point out uh, it says you've got a 40-year career in information technology, in aerospace, defense, education, financial services, and you're serving as president of Slip Glass Incorporated, an engineering software firm. Yeah. That's all I want to read. I would like to hear from you. Tell us a little about yourself and your background and what ultimately led you to get involved with politics. Thanks. So, first of all, it's wonderful to be here, to appear on this program. Um, I have the honor of representing um, Andrew Womack Ministries and Karis Bible College, uh, all fall within uh, House District 39. So, and I even remember four years ago when I was running for this position for the first time, and uh, I'm just driving Highway 24 and uh, driving by, and I'm going, what is that building tucked in the woods over there? And, and there were a lot of cars pulling up to it. So it was an evening. And uh, I was on my way to the, to the uh, Republican gathering down the street, but I had some extra time, uh, a lot of extra time. So I just drove onto the campus and there were buses picking people up in these remote uh, um, off-campus uh, uh, parking sites. So I just hopped on a bus and I just rode on up to go see what this was. I started to gather that this was something Christian <laughs> just from the, the kind of the flavor of the talk of the folks that were on the bus with me and walked in and uh, I thought, this is some kind of a special place. Mm. And so I just spent some time looking around and, uh, um, and then and it was interesting. So I, I see uh, Andrew Womack on the wall there and his lovely wife and all that. And I'm going, I, okay, I obviously need to get to know this guy. And then he shows up to testify at the state capitol mm. against uh, one of the most egregious bills that we've uh, ever uh, had had confronted. So um, anyway, kind of all of that now to answer your, your question. Thank you for that, mm -hmm. Mark. Uh, so I'm granddad to, to seven kids. Wow. 
and uh, four kids call me uh, dad. And uh, my wife uh, of 44 years, she's my high school sweetheart. And so I fell in love on my 16th birthday when she crashed my party. And I've been in love ever since. And uh, yeah, so she's, she's just my, she's my rock anyway. Love her pieces. Um, so um, professionally, um, you know, I worked for NASA for a while uh, out at, uh, in Southern California at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory with deep space exploration um, out of JPL. And uh, I got recruited by Mark Marietta to, to come to Colorado, now, nowadays known as Lockheed Martin. So I still work in that world. I worked for them for several years and uh, focused on cybersecurity for a long time. I was the software integration lead for, for Martin Marietta's big Titan rocket. And uh, so just um, worked in that world, still do. So in our, my little company, Slipglass, it's a, it's a little company trying to be a big company. Uh, it's my second company. We, we, uh, we built one uh, beginning in 93 and grew it up and sold it in 2001. And so this is, if I were a better businessman, I, I would have just retired then, but I'm, I'm not. So um, I'm on my second company now, but, but it's, it's a lot of fun. I really love what we're doing and, and the crew are amazing people. Um, why I'm involved in, in politics is I um, had a little bit of an international upbringing in that my dad was a big energy construction guy. So he built oil refineries, nuclear power plants, Alaskan pipeline, that sort of thing. So we moved around a lot. And um, we lived in, uh, in Puerto Rico for, um, for my teen years. That's where I met my wife. And her dad was working that same job site. And uh, that's where I met Jesus Christ actually. Um, and he had to take me to a place where I couldn't speak the language to isolate me enough to pay attention to him. And <laughs> that's kind of how it worked for me uh, at 14 years old when, uh, when I discovered uh, him through the Holy Spirit. Just, just uh, anyway, long, long story, but one worth sharing one of these days, I suppose. But um, I came to appreciate the U.S. by living away from it. So I lived in Puerto Rico. I also uh, mm. uh, took a job assignment for that same company my dad worked for for so long uh, to South Africa. And so we had perspective of um, outside of the U.S. to appreciate how amazing this place is. And uh, I credit Father Donald at uh, my high school in Puerto Rico, Colegio San Antonio Abad, that uh, he overheard me making some uh, inappropriate, no doubt, comparison of the United States to every other place in the world, how great it was. And he paused and said, uh, he says, Mr. Baisley, you're, you're right. He says, your nation is a very special place. And if you want to understand why, you'll go read your founding document. How about that? Wow. How about that, huh? Fantastic. That set me. That was a big moment for me. How old were you? When I was 15. 15? Yeah, I was 15 years old. And, and you're referring to the Declaration of Independence. Yes. <coughs> and in fact, I, um, I told my buddy Raul, um, I said right then, because I was talking to Raul, and uh, Raul Acosta, I'll never forget him. And uh, I, I said, uh, I got to go to the library. So I just scurried down to the library. It was, a, it was an all boys boarding school. We were on. 90 acres of land, very isolated, and is a, a magnificent school, high academics. Um, and uh, so I go into this serious library we had, and I said, I'd like to see the, the uh, founding document of America, please. And I had no idea what I was asking for, <laughs> but he did. He did. So he lays out this, uh, some big old book, lays it out for me, open to the Declaration. And it just, 
oh, that when I read um, that those words, the, the, the skies opened up and the angel sang, you know, it was just, mm. it was a, it was a moment for, me. I go, that's it. This is, this is why I just knew then it was, it was a moment that I, I committed then when I get big, hopefully living back in the good old US of A, I want to do what I can to preserve what the founders had given us. Wow. So that's why I got involved. I've been involved heavily in the one party that, uh, uh, can accommodate um, the uh, founding principles. One has rejected founding principles and the other is accommodating them in a really great way. And so that's where I aligned myself and, um, and I served as a county party chairman and uh, vice chair of the state party. And then when this house seat opened up uh, about four years ago, then uh, you know I had all those folks going, all right, Mark, your turn to go serve on the field. So I, uh, I asked my wife permission and she said, remember, I know everything. And, and she does. So, so. <laughs> <laughs> wow, there's, there's two things about your background that really blesses me that I wish more politicians had. Number one, to go outside this country and realize that America is the exception, not the rule. Right. And I think it ought to be a requirement somehow. I wished it was. Yeah. Because <clears throat> until you leave America, I know my first trip out of the country just completely blew me away. And it was just Costa Rica. Yeah. But something happened in me on that. And to have an experience like that where a 15-year-old went back to read the document of the Declaration of Independence, two most powerful freedom documents ever penned, it's the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. Yep. Mm -hmm. Second thing I really like about your background, Mark, is you've actually had a real job. Um, you've had a company. Uh, you've probably been responsible for bills, and you understand that you just don't get to spend somebody else's money if you're not balancing the budget and things like that. I, I mean, that. you're an entrepreneur, and that is something that I think so many politicians you know, some of these people have never really had real jobs. I'm not talking about anybody, but many, and they don't know what it is. And so, because they don't know what it is, but that's interesting. Well, so tell us, what's it like living in that world of moving from real life and, you know, running a company, starting a company, things like that, and then all of a sudden going up on the hill there in Denver and the state capitol. What's it like up there on a day-to-day -day basis? So uh, everyone would not know this, but most states do not have a full-time legislature, and Colorado was, is such a state. So we meet for 120 days. So from the beginning of January, so we will begin January 8 in 2023 and go to, I believe it's May 7. Uh, so it's always early January to early May. Um, and we serve just for those 120 days, so four months of the year. And um, Texas does, they, they have this uh, rotating where they serve for like, I don't know, a couple weeks and then they serve for a few months. And so, um, but I, I think this is probably a, maybe a little too long. I'd like to see is because we end up uh, considering over 600 bills uh, every, every, In what amount every of time? year within uh, 120 days, within four months. Wow. So, but to answer your question, Mark, um, I've got three balls in the air at all time that I'm juggling. So it's, it's the company, it's, uh, it's the legislature, and it's family. And uh, I kind of like it. 
I like, I like the busyness of it. I, I'm an extrovert, I'm still energetic at age of 67, and I just want, I want to do stuff, and I'll get bored if I'm not. So, so I love fulfilling what we're doing in Slip Glass and my little company. We're doing some very cool stuff that I think will not only contribute to um, quality of life, but uh, we pursue what the Declaration of Independence starts out talking about. We pursue the natural. We're trying to, in everything that we do, we're trying to understand how is this world put together and how can we visualize it. So anyways, there's, there's alignment, there's consistency, and there's joy in that. There's joy in the discovery and to be able to work. And we're, we're working uh, these days in uh, quantum physics, uh, supporting quantum physics, uh, quantum mechanics companies. And it's uh, trying to get our brain around that. And the challenge to, to us and the company from them is help us to visualize this so that even our PhDs can understand this stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the joy of it. Technologically, um, family, God, I just love them all. And um, they're, they're great. We have a, a neat, close family. Our kids and grandkids all live um, here in Colorado. And we get together, everybody gets together for every big holiday. Uh, so it's a it's a real real neat real neat family and company wise uh, um, I'm able to rely on some phenomenal people that that do the work while I'm goofing off at the Capitol and at the Capitol uh, Boy, that's a different world. I got to tell you though Mark and Richard. I, I'm appreciative that I'm in there now When the battle is on the battle is on and we're we're at a deficit. We're down nine seats in the House. We're down now five seats in the uh, in the Senate. And so we've got to claw our way back. But I think we're going to. I think we're going to because this nation is founded on natural law. It, the folk eventually will recognize that we're off track, that this is not aligning with how we ought to be behaving, how we ought to be governing ourselves. And maybe those other guys that are out of power right now ought to be given a chance to try to straighten things out. So what do you feel the most serious issue is facing Colorado voters right now from your perspective? Um, you know, we, we, just, we just went through the Roe versus Wade overturning and that is right up there. Uh, it's got to be, that is the biggest issue. There's, a, there's another one that's uh, the sexualization of our youth um, and that recruitment mm -hmm. that is just very troubling. And, and they pass laws to extend that, that we fight. That are, by the way, unconstitutional laws, but they pass them anyway. And, and I can talk about that. They're heartbreaking examples of going too far violating their oath and voting for a bill that they know is, a, is an unconstitutional bill, uh, would make an unconstitutional law and thereby uh, violating their oath of office to uphold the Constitution. So do you think, going back, it, when you were 15 and someone challenged you to read the founding documents, so you went back and read the Declaration, as a 15-year-old, how did that impact you? Did you see um, how that it speaks of a creator or because it's yeah. interesting we have so many that are voting for things that are unconstitutional how'd that impact you when you were 15 and does it do you think it had a 
place and where you're at now and some of the worldview that you have? Oh, yeah. So there was one line specifically in the Declaration that struck me, and it's the one right after the one we, ones we all have memorized. So I had not read this before. So this was all new to me. I didn't realize the fame of we're endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, and among these are life and liberty and pursuit of happiness. It was the next phrase that says that governments are instituted among men to secure these rights, deriving their powers from the consent of the governed. So that was the uniqueness of the United States, as I could see it. Now, my dad, very cool, he, uh, out on the job site where he worked, they're building an oil refinery, so a lot of dirt. He had a buddy who would fly to work every day, and, and uh, he had a, like a, I, I don't know, must have been an eight-passenger plane. And he would fly in from another part of the island, from Puerto Rico. And, and when he would, before he would leave, he would get the road grader out and he would grade um, a runway for himself to take off to go home, back to Ponce where he lived. And it would still be good and clean when he came back the next morning. No one would have disturbed it overnight. So uh, my dad would have this guy, he would pay him to fly us to these other islands. So on weekends, we would go visit the Dutch, French, British, um, independent islands. And, and as we're doing this, I am looking for that magic, that spark that I remembered America being, and I wasn't finding it anywhere. That's one reason why I thought there's something unique about it. But this, that line about the governments are instituted to, to secure the rights endowed to us by the Creator, that whole formula just struck me. It just made so much sense that, that we have the rights endowed to us by an eternal being and the government just has this role. Mm. That's, that is clear and important and essential. Well, so Mark, do you, do you feel like um, that Americans have, an, have lost that understanding of the role of government, what government's real purpose is, and what, what responsibility do we as Christians have to restore that yeah. understanding? So we hear from uh, <clears throat> Lance Wall now, we hear uh, about the mountains and uh, even Del Tackett's uh, Truth Project, his perspective, calling them the spheres and so on. Um, government has its place. It's, it's essential, and we can do some great things with that, but government also has the, the authority of force. And so it's hard to stop it. When it decides it's going to grow and start taking over the other mountains, the other spheres, it's hard to stop that. So this is what I, I believe we've, uh, we need to get back to is educating folks on that very, that very concept that government has this limited role. It is, it is not to take care of us. It is not to tell us what we must do uh, in our own health. It, it, is, it is to ensure that our rights are intact and are, are respected. And when the bad guys are, uh, are coming after us, then it defends us. But we might give it, we might surrender some uh, utilitarian things to it, like to maintain our roads and our bridges, some infrastructure stuff, because it makes more sense um, to do that than to have uh, the, the patchwork that would come through free enterprise putting together roads. Who knows? You know, maybe that's a good idea. Maybe we could do without government. But that's okay with me. But what happens in government is people run for office because they've got this cool idea that they think that everybody should have. I use the example, and I was teaching a class here at, uh, at Keras uh, in the practical government, and I, I asked, uh, raise the hands, I said, how many of you uh, prefer windows 
on your computer as a computer? And most of the class raised their hands, and I said, and how many of you prefer Mac OS? And then a couple of folks raised their hands, and I said, well, uh, Windows wins, so all of you have to have Windows machines. Mm. I said, That's, that is the collectivist mindset that uh, is being deployed, and I just use that silly example uh, to try to convey the, the thought. I sit there in, in the, on the house floor and wonder, how do we get such radical bills passed? How, what is going on? And I'm, and I'm looking at my friends, and most of them on the other side of the aisle are friends. They're all colleagues. I know them all. Um, I know some of them very well. Um, and in my own personal inappropriate judgment, I would categorize about 5% of them to be radical, radical people, radical ideas. They're just trying to propose these crazy things. But all of them on that side of the aisle will vote for that crazy idea mm -hmm. because they have this collectivist marching band mindset that once one of them on their side puts that in, puts forward, here is what I want to do. Uh, we want to displace, we want to replace uh, Roe versus Wade with this even more radical abortion law for Colorado. They will all vote for it. Mm -hmm. So it is part of the collectivist mindset that, that that, rep, that uh, worldview represents that we see in socialism, communism, um, a lot of the uh, uh, unionization, right. and even in uh, uh, identity politics. They try to put people in a category and collectively say, you all will behave this way and vote this way. It's, it's the opposite of the individual rights endowed to us by our creator. So it's the rebellion against God's design. Well, Mark, uh, one of the I think you alluded to it a minute ago, but one of the most egregious bills passed in the Colorado legislature this year was, uh, I think people are calling it RIA, Reproductive Health. The, the Democrats use this technique where they name something the opposite of what it is to get uh, so that the public will like it. But Reproductive Health Something or Other Act, Equity Act. Mm -hmm. And can you tell us about that? I think that Colorado is now the most aggressive pro-abortion state in the nation. Um, and what, what is this bill? What did it do? And uh, what do people need to know about it? Sure. So it's uh, House Bill 1279, House Bill. So if you want to look it up, HB for House Bill 22-127. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, 1279. That's right. And um, it was it was proposed and passed in anticipation that the, the Dodd um, uh, decision would come through as it did with Dobbs. the United States, Dobbs, thank yeah. you, mm -hmm. thank you Dobbs, um, decision from the United States Supreme Court that overturned Roe versus Wade. Roe versus Wade actually allowed for a graduated um, measures of protection of the, of the fetus, of the unborn. Um, it wasn't exercised a whole lot, but it allowed for it. This bill, this RIA 1279, um, is far more radical. It's, it actually has the, the key line in the whole uh, bill says that a fertilized egg, comma, embryo, comma, um, fetus has no rights. Mm -hmm. Just starkly says has no rights. So we on the Republican side, we fought that bill we fought that bill in our version of, of filibustering for 25 hours. It started um, on the morning of a Friday and ended um, an hour later that, that next day on a Saturday. And we fought it until 
it couldn't be fought anymore, um, and they passed that bill. But uh, yeah, we we sure scored some points, and we made them all think. But they still passed that. And bill. it was a party line vote. Yes, strictly. And so it under this uh, under this law, it's legal in Colorado to kill an unborn baby a moment before birth, and there can be no repercussions at all for that, right? That it, was, it was that absolute, and yes, all the way up to the moment of natural birth, and uh, mm. has no rights. So it is a late-term abortion bill, as well as the entire development cycle, wow. yes. Are we one of the most radical in the country? Is that correct? That is my understanding. I don't know what all the other states are doing, but you can't get more liberal than that. You know, Mark, I'd go further and say that we're actually now one of the most radical governmental jurisdictions in the world. Mm. We're up there in the ranks of China. You're talking Colorado. Colorado, the state of Colorado, China, North Korea, Cuba, um, uh, you know, these nations and places like that that are just, you know, committing atrocities all the time. And um, it, it's that bad. But how do they, you're in the pit, you're arguing, you're debating this with these people. And I'm wondering, what do they do with the, you can look on an ultrasound and you can see this is a living human being inside the mother's womb. Yeah. What do they do with that obvious reality? You know, they, they avoid it. And here's how they avoid it mm. through, um, through rules, through legislative rules. Um, only the majority leader, so um, there are 41 Democrats and 24 Republicans in the Colorado State House of Representatives currently. Um, so the leader of the majority party, and Democrats here, is the single person who's allowed to decide what gets displayed on projection screen mm. on the House floor. And so we come to them with, we want to show what that unborn child looks like. And she says, you will not put that up. So more censorship from the left. Yeah, yes. And yes. They, but but they, even in just your regular discussion with Democrats, right. I mean, you can say, all you have to do is look at an ultrasound. Yeah. This is a human being. Yes. How can you say it has no rights under our law? Yeah. And how do they handle that? Do they, they again, dodge it? They don't want to talk about it? What, what's the response? It's, yeah, it is a real emotional rejection. Don't show me that. I do not want to see that. You will not put that on display. And it's, it's like, why not? Why do we not take in some informative graphics to inform our decision? And they don't want to be informed of the decision. They've made their decision. Mm -hmm. They're simply going to tolerate us and let us have our say. And the decision to is degree. made. To a degree. To a degree, yes. But the decision is made uh, certainly in advance. I mean, we, we know that through uh, um, everything else that we've seen. And a couple of our friends, true friends on the other side, um, and, and I'll, I'll, not, I'll not name names, but um, folks that I've come uh, close with on the other side will even tell me on occasion, not on this bill in particular, but will say, God, I hate this bill when there's something really radical they're, they're proposing. And I'll go, so you're going to vote with us against that bill? No, I have to vote for it. So you actually have some great relationships across the aisle, but you're saying when it comes to the vote, they just don't budge on issues like this. And, you know, when you mentioned that about 
putting up images, I know the pregnancy centers, I don't know what the exact percentage is, but when the mother sees that, I think it's in the 80% range, they changed their mind. No kidding. I think, yes, Richard, maybe you correct. can help. Yeah, we've had many guests. But I get that. Um, and, and on this, they, they don't want to look at it or have to face it. Um, when it comes to the economy, you know, because I think about, you know, well, now I, they don't want to come face to face with the life issue. But, you know, when people start feeling pain in their pocketbook or at the gas pump, where are we in Colorado as far as inflation and, and things like that? Uh, is it true that uh, we have one of the highest inflation rates in the nation? That's, again, that's my understanding. I just recently read that, that uh, we are at the highest. And, and I think part of what uh, we have to blame there is uh, fuel costs. So our local state laws have driven up fuel costs for Colorado um, because um, we have made it more difficult through the legislature to, uh, to extract natural gas out of the ground. Um, and it's, it's egregious because there was a, um, a ballot measure put before the people, so this is where everybody votes on it. Uh, anyone listening from California will recognize all those. Um, they get a ton of them there. Uh, but a ballot measure that the majority just votes on, and that, that bill four years ago was asking, do we uh, want to have any restrictions uh, on distancing? There, um, are we going to allow a local local uh, jurisdictions, local cities and towns and whatever to say, um, you can't have uh, a fracking or an oil drill site or whatever within some distance so they could make this 2,000 feet, make it impossible to, to drill anywhere. Um, and the voters rejected that. They said, no, we like our oil and gas production here in the state. We live off of that. And then just a couple months later, that the, at the same election where the voters rejected that, they also elected a majority of Democrats to the House and to the Senate and to the governor's office. And they overturned the will of the people by passing laws that made it real easy to shut down and uh, oil and gas. And so they leave the state. The oil and gas companies leave the state. And we get a whole lot less production and it has to be more expensive. So we do it to ourselves. So I was talking to someone who, who's really in, uh, in the know the other day in, in Colorado politics and what goes on at the legislature. And even though um, the, this current government has not passed an uh, income tax increase, mm -hmm. the Democrat-controlled legislature and Democrat Jared Polis have enacted dozens and dozens of fees and fines and other costs, jacking up registration costs, filing fees, licensing fees, uh, just innumerable in the last two, four years. Can you tell us more about that and what is that doing to the economy and to the Coloradans' pocketbook? Colorado passed, I don't know, 20 years ago, something like that, a constitutional amendment passed by the people called the Taxpayer's Bill of Rights. And that Taxpayer Bill of Rights, people refer to it as Tabor a lot. I try to say it, Taxpayer's Bill of Rights, spell it out every time, mm. just so we're reminded of what this is. And it's, it, it's wonderful. It's, uh, it's, what, it's the kind of thing that we ought to be doing a lot more of. It restricts the government from raising taxes without first going to the people and saying, may we please tax you more? Because most of the time the people say, 
No, I'm taxed enough already, right? That's the Tea Party, taxed enough already. Um, and so what the trick is that you're referring to is uh, they will say, well, we're going to add some more money coming off of, skimming off of whatever this, this service is, but we're going to call it a fee instead of a tax. So, well, you're an attorney, Richard, you know, it's, words make all the difference in the world. If you can just define something to be something other than what it really is, it's not a baby, it's a fetus, it's not a tax, it's a fee, then you can do something else with it. So, uh, a, a an example of this going on right now is a delivery fee, a 27 cent per delivery fee that just went into effect and it's, it's driving retail, it's driving delivery systems nuts. So it's a way to, they're trying to raise funds to pay for um, transportation issues. We're, we are down on the amount of money that we have to, to handle our transportation, roads, bridges, and so on. Um, we're at, we actually have plenty of money for that, but they want to spend it on the wrong stuff. I was going to say, it's a matter of allocation, isn't it? It, it totally is. It, yeah. yeah. They want to spend it on uh, light rail and bike lanes and so on, but they should be spending it on improving our roads and, and so on. But, yeah. But Well, here's another one. If uh, Crime. I mean, Colorado is uh, f has the fourth highest rate of crime in the nation. Well. Here we are, Mountain West, beautiful state. Everyone should be outdoors, indoor, enjoying themselves. Yeah. And, and we have the, the highest auto theft rate in the nation, one of the highest murder rates, um, uh, second highest number of deaths on, from fentanyl. What is going on? Well, um, so for generally for crime, it's just the, the relaxing of punishment and uh, mm. saying you can get away with, we will turn you loose, and so on. Um, making it tougher on, on, uh, on law enforcement to enforce the law. It's not as bad as what I hear in other states, but it's still bad. Um, but when it comes to fentanyl, um, just because of where we are positioned in the middle of the, of the country, we have inter this cross-section or intersection of Interstate 25 that um, goes north and south, and we have Interstate 70 goes east and west. And so that, that makes uh, Colorado this convenient place mm -hmm. for distribution yeah. of fentanyl that comes up uh, across the southern border. So there is a lot of catching of fentanyl in Colorado. Um, and their law enforcement federally is on it looking for, I'm not sure how they identify that car to pull over, but they're pulling over some record um, you know, transportation of fentanyl, but of course, a whole lot of that ends up just staying here in the state. And uh, well, Mark, a, a couple of years ago, they, you know, after the Rodney King thing and and his murder, the Colorado legislature passed a law that um, said that police officers in this state no longer have individual immunity. Mm -hmm. That means if a police officer commits any violation, he has to pay the damages out of his own pocket. Yeah. Has that had a bad con uh, effect on law enforcement across the state? And yeah. what are we, how are we doing on recruiting new officers, keeping them, and that sort of thing? Yeah, that's very upsetting to someone who's uh, setting out to, to, to be a law enforcement officer, obviously. So yeah, traditionally, they, they don't carry the liability. You, you see the argument in it saying, well, what if a cop goes bad? Well, um, I've talked with sheriffs um, on 
represent two counties now and uh, talking with sheriffs in the, the six additional counties that I'm uh, hoping to represent. And, um, and they all say, yeah, every now and then, we have someone who ought not to be a law enforcement officer, but guess what? We take care of that and we move them on and invite them to go work uh, in another industry somewhere. And we try to take care of that. But the individual, yeah, if they mess up, um, they can get sued for an awful lot of money and they can lose everything. And so, yeah, we do need to have that covering and now they're hesitant. So, because they could lose everything just in their job. You know, this crime thing has been something that has alarmed me at a level I don't think I've ever seen it. I, you know, I get these news alerts mm -hmm. and I'm getting daily almost things of shootings and standoffs. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. to me, I think you hit on something, Mark. It's, you know, being a pastor, it's a spiritual, obviously, a spiritual issue, but you hit on something really big that in the political arena, it has to be a working together because it's a Proverbs principle, you know, because mm. sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. The word says, says the hearts of men are fully set to do evil. Mm. So people are doing this. So from the pastoral side, we believe strongly and prayer and discipling people and we're doing things to reach out. But um, also in the education, because we're sitting here talking about all these things, these things are feeding into each other. And um, mm -hmm. when it comes to education, 60% of public school students are not reading at grade level. 70% mm. of public school students not performing math at grade level. And, uh, and then the, the, instead of that, driving this LGBT agenda, mm -hmm. the sexualization, like I would, I've been shocked at what is being, it, to me it's not education, it's indoctrination. Mm -hmm. And so how do you see us making an impact um, and changing these things? We can sit here and talk about it all day long and we need to talk about it, but real life impact from your perspective in crime and education, what are your thoughts? Yeah, education is a big deal for me. I. I begged to uh, serve on the education committee and they were kind enough to give me that assignment. I've been there for the four years. Um, and really, because I had such a great education myself uh, in Puerto Rico, uh, my high school was uh, so great. But anyway, um, imagine, think of what we do, how we, how we put together the, the, teacher, um, the teacher army for, for, for educating our kids. Typically, someone in middle school says that's when they'll decide, you know what, when I grow up, I want to be a teacher. So they'll go through high school, they'll go to a teaching college, and they'll graduate and they'll come right back into the, high, to the school. And we are relying on those people to prepare those students to thrive in free enterprise. And they have never experienced free enterprise themselves. We, we choose the wrong folk. We would we should require, my opinion, um, that they live out in the free world first, 15, 20 years, whatever. So I love the idea, and there are some programs to do this, but I love where we recruit out of, in Colorado, we have big aerospace industry, we have uh, other big industries that we could recruit from as second and third careers for people to come into the classroom and have that kind of master apprentice coming in without the agenda that they just got through learning in a liberal world of, of a college, of university, 
but rather come with uh, having experience running a business, um, working uh, in, and being in danger of getting laid off or getting canned if they didn't do the, the good job. They need to, to bring that and to bring that appreciation for um, just the, the belts and suspenders, uh, how, how the world works, how free enterprise works. And, but we don't have that. It's much more of a, a, a utopian world and it's that same collectivism that I was talking about before, the, the, the unionization. And let me, let me tell you some, some little uh, secret that most people don't know. The first hour that we kick off every um, week when we're in, in session, um, both parties go meet. So we meet in a big conference room and we talk about what's coming up for the week, you know, just a typical kickoff uh, meeting for the week. And uh, that's how we meet. The Democrats go across the street to meet at this teachers union party headquarters that's mm. positioned right across the street from the Capitol. Wow. It's just this whole collectivism is just talked all the time. We're all going to march lockstep. We're all going to do the same thing. I want, I want to make sure people understood what you just said. Sure. The Democratic Party, the caucus of Democrats in the state house when they meet during session every week, they don't meet in the Capitol building, they go across the street to the teachers union building. Correct. Mm. That is correct. Okay. So, uh, Mark, what about American history and our American heritage? Our kids in school today are being taught that America is a systemically racist country, mm. that, it, that white people are oppressive, inherently mm -hmm. oppressive against blacks, that our founding fathers were racist mm -hmm. and that the Constitution and Declaration of Independence are racist documents. Mm -hmm. How are in the world can a country that's doing that survive? Uh, well, are, we, are, we, are we destroying our own foundations? Yeah, with a lie. Destroying our own foundations with a lie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with, um, with you more, Richard, on that. And, and something Mark said earlier, boy, wouldn't it be great if everybody had to live outside of the U.S. or live away from it for a, a short while um, to come back with the appreciation of, wow. So um, as it's always said, no one is, is getting in a raft and paddling their way to Cuba. Mm -hmm. It all comes the other direction, right? Um, there's, if anybody wants to leave and go pour across our borders going on the way out, great. But the traffic's all coming in because everybody else knows it. We ought to know it. And it didn't just start in 1776. That's when it was all documented, and, um, and that's what the founders fought for. But boy, the miracles that happened, going all the way back to 1620 and so on, when, when the, the pilgrims came, came across and risked everything, and half of them died the first year just trying to, to put a stake in the ground here. For what? For, for what America ultimately became? And the miracles all around that are just, it's astonishing stuff, the way God prepared people and put them in positions for, for that, that compact, that Mayflower compact to survive as the nugget for everything else that happened afterward. Yeah, and it's, it's exciting history. Mm -hmm. it's, it's wonderful history. I, I applaud the independent efforts and the Tuttle Twins publications and so on to try to, to get around um, what you're just talking about, Richard, where it's not being taught. It should be taught, well, what lit me up at 15 years old? The, taught in a, 
it just presented to you to say, here's, here's what really happened. And it's magnificent. It's, uh, it's something that just brings a tear to your eye when you realize what's going on. Actually, along that line, Mark, that is where my hope is right now in being able to read true American history yeah. that hadn't been scrubbed and deconstructed because we should have never been birthed as a nation. Mm -hmm. uh, it was insanity for these 16 colonies to take on the British Empire. And the odds of that, if you look at it in the natural, so you see the overarching hand of God, that's what grieves me that our children are being robbed of their heritage. But the hope is, you know, if you look at this in the natural, and just every time I read this stuff, it's kind of like it can be very disheartening. But then I go back and our good friend Bill Federer, <laughs> the books he's put together, Miracles in American History, mm -hmm. that his wife's favorite stories, those times that had God not shown up, we wouldn't, I mean, first we never should have been birthed, but we did. Yes. It was a miracle by the hand of God. But then all these other subsequent times that if God hadn't come through, we would have been done. I think we're there again. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a little mm -hmm. bit of yeast leavens the whole lump. And we've got some real leaven in our political system, naturally. It looks like we're in real trouble, and we are. But my hope is in the fact that we are one nation under God, and by His grace, we're going to make it through this. But we better wake ourselves up and get busy. Richard, are we going to have time for any yeah, questions? Yeah, we've got in? some questions here. Oh. Um, uh, here here's one um, uh, from, well, I can't read this person's name, it's just initials, looks like. But they're asking, do you think legalization of marijuana has caused an increase in Colorado's crime rate? Yeah, so if, uh, if the entire nation had legalized recreational marijuana all at once, then it would not have affected Colorado like, like it has. But instead, Colorado went out first, along with I think Oregon, same time? I don't recall, but I believe um, one of the northwestern states at the same time, and just said, um, first, medical marijuana is legal, and then recreational marijuana is legal. So guess what? our population increased by a million people real fast. And we didn't get um, the most ambitious people necessarily flooding into Colorado who are going to bring all their, their, uh, their ambition and their technology yes. and, and all of that. Um, instead, we had a lot of people that wanted to come smoke weed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it has changed the complexion of the state of Colorado in a, not well, but way. just so we're clear, you're not saying that we should legalize marijuana nationwide, right? Well, um, I would rather that had happened than just Colorado doing it on its own uh, for the sake of Colorado. How about we go back However, to it being a, pr a controlled substance now, that's illegal? Yes. So what I would prefer, have preferred, so to be clear, yeah. is that it's, it's, uh, it's not a, um, a legal recreational drug, but we do take advantage of the medical um, you know, attributes of it, but uh, it's gotten a lot of people in trouble. And it's just, it's shameful how it has uh, slowed down a lot of otherwise very productive lives, yeah. So we've got another question uh, here, Mark, and this is the news that came out, I think a day or two ago about the city of Denver authorizing large cash payments to homeless people. Do you know about that? And the, the question is, how will cash payments to Denver's homeless population help or hurt people? I'm assuming that's the city of Denver. Maybe it was the state, but. That has to be a local city of Denver law. I'm not familiar with that, but I'll sign up. Okay. <laughs> well, the, the headline was 
Oh $12,000 plus um, something, I don't know, some free punch card to whatever, some government benefit. But uh, to homeless people, um, not sure how you get on that list exactly. How homeless do you have to be? But um, yeah. I, I'm, I, Is that yeah. just crazy? That's crazy, and that did not come across the, uh, I would remember mm. that if that had come through the state legislature. Um, all right, so uh, California has now, I think, passed a law saying that in so many years, it will be illegal to sell a gasoline-powered motor vehicle in that state. And Colorado, I hear, is headed, the, uh, one of our viewers is asking, headed the same direction. What do you know about that? Um, it, it's, that's one of those buzzes in, within the state legislature that, that, that they're moving towards that. And they typically do try to follow, I'll say they, the, the folks that are running the joint now, so our current governor and uh, the legislature, do look to California as a model, and and what a horrible representation of what you ought to be doing. Um, so in, in in this case, I have a, a quick story. Um, we we got scolded. There was a handful of us, about eight legislators, that were visiting uh, university out on the Western Slope, on uh, Grand Junction area, and the the university president scolded us, said, "You guys." in the legislature promised that if we shut down this coal plant out here, that you would replace that with other great paying jobs for these people. You didn't do that. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, population is down. Uh, there's a lot more poverty. Our uh, registration and the enrollment in the, in the college is way down and so on. And I, uh, afterward, I talked to two of my Democrat friends uh, in the parking lot and I said, so obviously, he was yelling at you guys and not me, right? I go, we can, we can agree on that, right? And I go, yeah, and I go, what happened? They said, well, we, yeah, we really dropped the ball. He's actually right. And I said, so, I said, I talked to my dad, who's an energy guy. He said, yes, we could replace that coal plant with a nuclear power plant in that same place using those same lines to drive uh, electricity off to, to, uh, to supply the state. And they're like, ooh, and I go, what is wrong with your attitude towards nuclear energy? And they said, I don't know, it's just like a bad word on our side of the aisle. Anyway, just this is interesting to be so, as we're all seeing this obvious train wreck on the way, we're gonna mandate the use of electricity and then um, deny the, uh, the obvious way to go produce a lot of electricity. So they should just let the market figure this out because the market will figure out uh, efficiencies and people want to take care of, they want to be good stewards of the, uh, of the environment and the environment in which they live and thrive. So they want to buy clean uh, producing energy. They will do it on their own. Democrats seem to act like electricity for these electric cars just sort of is there, right? All you have to do is just plug it in and somehow it's there. They don't realize that that electricity gets generated by fossil fuels, right? Most Primarily, cases, correct. yeah, coal or other, yeah. Um, fossil fuel burning plants and that do you you're an engineer does it take more uh, energy to do to generate the electricity for an electric car than it would be just to put a gallon of gas in it say that again so so how much coal and yeah. other fossil fuels do I have to burn to uh, create a battery and then enough electricity to recharge that battery every night yeah. versus what it would take to just put a gallon of gas in that car. Well, it is a whole lot more effort and there's a whole lot of uh, inefficiencies, of course, in the transformation when you're going from uh, coal 
to electricity, to the, to the transfer, pushing it out across all of those many miles of line and so on, rather than, yes, the source itself, just putting it right in the tank and internally combusting it. I just read, it's already touching Colorado a little bit. So out in California, they were asking everybody to keep their thermostats, don't put too big of a demand, the electric good couldn't handle it. So they want everybody to go electric. Well, here in Colorado, and I think Richard, we may have talked about this, there were some folks in Colorado Springs and Pueblo that signed up on some kind of energy program, which gave the utility company or something mm -hmm. control. They locked their thermostats at 78 degrees. Yeah. So it was Colorado. real hot. Then I saw another thing. The, the technology is not there on these electric cars. So in California, of course, you don't hear this in some of the mainstream media. They were showing these firemen, electric car burst into flames. Well, then it was a whole budget increase. They had to train all the firemen how to fight these fires yeah. when a car explodes. And I yeah. mean, I was watching one burn on the on the uh, thing, and it's it's very serious. And so they're sitting there trying to drive everybody. And that question, I'm wondering about that now, the fossil fuel that it takes to get everybody in. And now they're starting to put these dates that we will not have, uh, you know, gasoline cars at this yeah. date or something like that. Yeah, because electricity is just magic. It's just there. So we won't burn any fossil fuels now, right? I mean, anyway, it's crazy. We've got about a minute oh left, gosh. Pastor Mark. Wow. Thank you, uh, Mark, for being with us tonight. Thank you. Thank you for uh, serving our state. Yeah. Amen. Uh, it is a honor. comfort to me with your convictions and your understanding and uh, just that you're a part serving our state here. And Richard, it's always good to be with you. And we want to thank you all for joining us. Also, we want to thank CTN for carrying us. Uh, they are such a blessing. And uh, make sure to join us next week. And remember that um, we have these shows archived. And I tell you, Richard, when I go on and look at our archives, there are some rich and powerful interviews. You Absolutely. get a lot of information here. And the Truth and Liberty Conference, Richard, was so powerful this year. Yes. A lot of what we were talking about, uh, solutions were brought up mm -hmm. at the, the conference this year. So we encourage you to take a look at the website. Let a friend know about Truth and Liberty. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we look forward to seeing you this next uh, week at the same time. Till then, may the Lord's richest blessings be yours. Join us next time for the Truth and Liberty broadcast. Find tonight's episode and related articles and links at truthandliberty.net. Truth and Liberty is viewer supported. If you'd like to help us continue our live casts, you can make a donation at truthandliberty.net. 